Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, welcome this weekend. Uh, Glad that you're joining me. Today we're talking specifically about the concept of forgiveness. And I'm not going out on a limb here when I say that there is probably no greater defining characteristic, action, um, a thought, or deed to a Christian life than this concept of forgiveness. And so it's incredibly important when Jesus talks to us and talks to his disciples about this concept of forgiveness, we ought to slow down, we ought to pay attention, we ought to take it to heart. And so let's do that today uh, as we look at this gospel text. Let's take it to heart and, and try to kind of pull apart what forgiveness is, what it isn't, and ultimately how to put that forgiveness into action in our lives. You've all probably heard the phrase forgive and forget, right? It's pretty common. Uh, forgive and forget, right? And sometimes people will just kind of casually throw that out there. Well, you've got to forgive and you've got to forget. And I think at times, even for us as Christians, uh, we, we probably have said that, right, to family members, to friends. Uh, we maybe have casually said, well, you've got to forgive and forget. You've just got to move on. You've got to be past it. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not sure that that's the best phrase for us as believers to always use. In fact, I would argue that that phrase, forgive and forget, maybe, maybe isn't even biblically grounded as much as, as what it should be, right? And so I say that because I've had countless amounts of people that'll come to me and talk to me, and, and these are Christians who know intimately know in their hearts that they ought to forgive and they want to forgive, and yet they've been hurt and wronged in, in such a deep way. And I think the forgiveness side of it, they can wrap their heads around, but the forgive and forget part is where they're just in anguish. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I've forgiven, but I, I can't seem to forget. And that becomes a problem. Because that's not actually, not actually a really great phrase, is it? In fact, it's not even really a biblical one when we talk about Christian forgiveness and what we have in Jesus. In fact, just in a general sense, being forgetful is not generally a good thing in our lives, is it? If you are a forgetful person, that's not something that maybe you, you put on your resume, right? When you go to an employer and say, what are your gifts? What do you have? Well, oh, I'm really good at forgetting things. Yep just letting them slip right out of my head, right? Generally, we don't do that. In fact, uh, in life, having a good memory is incredibly important. And actually, in life, having a good memory helps you be beneficial to the people around you. And and there's probably no greater genre or area within our world that a memory is remarkably important than in the game of chess. Now, I don't know if some of you are chess players out there. Some of you absolutely love it. Uh, I know how to play it play it a little bit casually, but I would say that I'm far from, from uh, uh, being an aficionado of it or being obsessed with it. But I think all of us on some level understand what it takes to be good at chess. 
See, chess isn't like basketball or football or another sport. Uh, chess, you don't need to work on your physique. You don't need to work on your eating. You don't need to work on your healthy habits or, or physicality or any of these things. Chess, in large part, is completely a mental game. And so if you have a greater memory, you can be really, really good at chess because it's all about memory. Memorizing patterns, memorizing chunks of data, all of those things. And, and there are those that are really, really good at it. Uh, maybe some of these names you recognize. Uh, Bobby Fischer was one of the world's greatest chess players that's ever lived. Uh, another man named Gary Kasparov, another world champion chess player. And, and these guys are kind of legendary, have legendary memories that they're able to remember combinations and what the board looked like and where chess pieces were at almost to a photographic level. It's been said that Bobby Fischer had an IQ of 181, which is like remarkably high. Um, additionally, that he had a near photographic memory that, that Bobby Fischer, uh, it is said, could remember almost every game of chess that he had ever played, like remember it visit, vi vividly. Gary Kasparov, uh, oftentimes when he would play chess, is thinking seven to ten moves in advance of the opponent that he's playing. So think of the mental capacity, the memory that it takes to be able to be thinking actively seven to ten moves ahead. Just phenomenal, right? There have been other chess players that have done almost like a, um, kind of competitions where they will blindfold themselves and they'll play multiple games of chess all at once. Uh, some men have done it as many as seven to ten games at once blindfolded, remembering in their head exactly every single game that was happening, where the pieces were at, what moves they had made, and what moves they are going to make next. And so in the game of chess, remembering is incredibly important. It can make you a grand champion, right? But that's not true just of chess. That's true of other parts of your life. When you, you um, are expected to remember certain things in your workplace, when you are expected to remember your wife's anniversary, you should be able to remember that, right? When you're expected to remember your kids' birthdays. Like um, in our life, if we don't have a memory, if we don't learn from those things that have happened and be able to lodge them in our heads, oftentimes we repeat them. And oftentimes, we're not any good to the people around us. So when we talk about forgiving and forgetting, I think we've got to deconstruct that concept of forgetting a little bit. I actually think what we need to do is come at it from a purely biblical Christian standpoint. Um, because God has used memory, gives us memory, in order for the good of the people around us. And it's a component of us as we forgive, but not necessarily forgetting. And so that's what we want to look at here today. Our theme is going to be simply forgiveness is, and I want to break it into three different areas as we kind of, uh, um, kind of deconstruct this concept of Christian forgiveness. Uh, so three areas, forgiveness, the first one, forgiveness isn't. So I want to talk about some things that it's not, common misconceptions of what forgiveness is supposed to be, but not actually biblical. Uh, the second one, though, we want to remember that forgiveness is remembering something. So it's not forgetting. It's actually remembering something in its place. So that's the second part we want to look at. And the last one is we want to look at how forgiveness is about doing. 
So those are the three sections that we're going to kind of go through that we want to look at from our text in Matthew here today. So you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Uh, You'll see it either on your screen or if you have your bulletin in front of me. But let's jump into it. We're going to read verses 21 and 22 just to kind of set up exactly what's happening in our text. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now understand exactly where we're at in our text and what's just taken place. If you were with us here at CVL last week, we just got done talking last week where Jesus kind of zeroed in on our responsibility uh, to point out sin and to, in love, correct one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Jesus just gets done with telling his disciples, you really got to watch out for one another, be willing to hold each other accountable in order to keep people keep each other on the straight course towards eternity and keep our eyes focused on Jesus and the forgiveness we have. So that just happened. And so it makes a little bit of sense that Peter then comes back to Jesus and says, "Um, okay, we're going to point out these sins and we're going to talk about forgiveness and forgiving one another. So then, like, what's the limit of that forgiveness as brothers and sisters in Christ? What's kind of fascinating here is Peter, on some level, thinks he's being remarkably generous with Jesus. So he says to him, um, you know, Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive? Should we forgive? Should I forgive as many as seven times? You almost think like that was Peter's voice, right? Um, Because Peter thought he was being incredibly generous with Jesus. Because the rabbis at the time, the religious law at the time, the pharisaical laws at the time, only required believers to forgive someone three times. It was kind of a three strikes and you're out rule. I know baseball hadn't been invented yet, but uh, that's what it was, right? You were only legally required to forgive somebody three times. After that, you, any, anything went, right? They were on their own. And so when Peter comes to Jesus and says, should I forgive as many as seven times? All I can think of is that in Peter's head, he thought, okay, so I'm supposed to do it three times. I wonder if I double it. No, that's a little too obvious. I'm going to double it plus one, right? So he comes to Jesus and says, if I, am I supposed to forgive seven times? Assuming that he's being remarkably generous in the depth of his forgiveness. Jesus responds, I say not seven times, but 77 times. In fact, some translations will put that seven times, seven times, right? So Jesus comes back to him and basically says, not seven times. How about you double it? How about you multiply it? How about you just be willing to forgive endlessly? And I think there's great importance in that for us as believers. See, I think that there are things that we assume about forgiveness, about its depth, about its necessity, about how we're supposed to do it. But at, some, at times, I think sometimes our assumptions are off. When we talk about forgiveness, that's the first section I want to talk about. There are some things that forgiveness isn't. Right? And, and some of these things are things that, that might make sense to us, at least peripherally or on the surface. But really, it's not how the Bible talks about them. Um, Forgiving doesn't mean pretending that nothing ever happened. It doesn't mean just 
allowing someone to sin against us repeatedly and pretending like there is nothing wrong with what they're doing, right? In fact, uh, this comes, comes uh, on the heels of Jesus actually saying the opposite, saying that we ought to hold people accountable, that we ought to point out sin in love, not in, in, uh, in a way to punish them, but to speak the truth in love. And so forgiving doesn't mean pretending that nothing happened, okay? The second one is um, that forgiving means never-ending chances, right? Um, Forgiveness certainly means letting go of the offense, right? Not trying to take it out on that person. But it also doesn't mean that we continually put ourselves back in vulnerable, vulnerable positions so that someone can continually and repeatedly sin against us, okay? So, um, forgiveness from the heart. But we also, as Jesus mentioned earlier, ought to and are responsible for pointing out sin and stopping that. Um, the third one, that there's no baggage or consequences after forgiveness. And that simply isn't true, is there? So, we, we can forgive and forgive from our hearts, but that doesn't mean that all of the earthly baggage and consequences simply disappears. Fourth one, that forgiveness means that there is an immediate and full restoration of that relationship. It's not necessarily what it means. We can forgive without that relationship maybe being reconciled. In fact, maybe the offense and the sin that was committed tore that relationship apart that it is so much so that actually it shouldn't be Put back together. Now, can it be? Absolutely. But maybe not, doesn't necessarily have to be, right? So just because we forgive doesn't mean that there is necessarily an immediate, as in right now, or a full restoration of that relationship. So there, once again, are some earthly consequences to the actions that we take, the sins that we commit, uh, and the hurt that it causes those around us. So those are some, I think that at times we maybe throw around a little too flippantly, but simply aren't supported biblically. But I think the biggest one is from uh, the, the phrase that we talked about at the beginning, that forgiveness means forgetting. That there's this almost kind of spiritual amnesia that if we forgive, that then everything should just be flushed out of our mind and we shouldn't even ever think about it again. But it's simply not true. In fact, when we look at our text here today, Jesus shows us that it's not true. And when we look in the pages of Scripture, we see over and over again where God remembers us. And what that means is is that God's willing to engage with us even though we are sinful. That God uh, decides to, to continue to work with us and continue to forgive us and continue to strengthen us and be with us and give us second chances but it doesn't mean that there is this some kind of um, um, just a, a mystery and a disappearance of what's happened. But there is something, I think, that takes its place. And that's the next section that we want to talk about. Forgiveness is about remembering. But it's important what we're remembering and what takes its place. So let me jump into uh, continue our text then for us here today, where Jesus talks specifically about how we are to forgive. Verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, Jesus tells Peter, not seven times, but 77 times, and then uses an illustration uh, to, to kind of highlight exactly the depth of the forgiveness that we have. So forgiveness is remembering something, just not what we think. Jesus highlights that here. There's a servant that comes to the king, and the servant owes that king uh, an unpayable amount of debt. In fact, this text was used, if you were here with us at CVL, maybe about a month ago. Pastor Dan actually referenced it when he talked about the destruction of a grudge. So if we want to be able to set our grudges aside, right, ultimately we go to Christ. And so Pastor Dan actually talked about this, and and I'm going to use his, because he's a much better uh, uh, math professor than I am, but I'm going to use his amount uh, that in modern day terms of how much that servant owed, it would have been equal to about $14 billion. So when the servant says to the king, have patience with me, have pity on me, and I will pay you back, in truth, that is a lie, isn't it? He can't do it. It would have taken multiple lifetimes. There's no way he can pay this back. And so uh, he, he is not actually saying that he can pay it back. What he is begging for is mercy from the king to simply take on and pay the cost of his debt instead of him having to pay it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The debt was so large that no amount of work, no amount of lifetimes was ever going to be able to pay it back. And so he comes to the king and he says, be patient with me. And actually, this is going to be come up twice in our text here today. It comes up uh, in verse 26, and you're also going to see it again in verse 29. Um, and I think that single word, that single word patience kind of unlocks this whole text. He comes to the king and says, be patient with me. It's actually from the Greek word makrothemus, which is, uh, which is a, a, a kind of compound Greek word, which means uh, long-suffering, long-burning, like, like a, a, a real patience, long um, being willing to work with somebody for an extended period of time over and over and over again. And so we get the English word Patience. I think some of the older English words uh, used to be used was long-suffering, which I think is maybe a little more accurate. But that's what he is asking the king to be, to be patient with him, to be long-suffering. But in that English word, we actually get a little taste of what is involved and what is at the heart and soul of forgiveness. There is suffering, isn't there? When you are asked to forgive somebody... When you are, um, um, when someone asks for your forgiveness, there is a degree of suffering because something actually happened. Somebody hurt you. Somebody sinned against you. Somebody has offended you. Somebody, somebody has, has taken a bite out of you. There is suffering that is involved and there is a debt that needs to be paid. And so this servant comes to the king and says, will you be long suffering? Essentially what he's asking is, Will you pay my debt? That's a big ask, isn't it? In fact, every time that someone asks for forgiveness, I think that's what goes through our hearts and through our minds. Because we've suffered. Because they've taken a chunk out of us. 
because they've hurt us, because we have suffered by what they have done. The same was true in the story with Jesus and with the king and the servant. And the servant is essentially asking the king to bear the brunt of that suffering, to pay the debt. And that's what forgiveness is. It's paying the debt. But what's different is not making that person pay, but rather taking on that suffering and that payment yourself. And I think that's why forgiving somebody is so hard, so painful, because there is suffering involved. But that's what we can't ever forget. Forgiveness is remembering, not necessarily remembering the hurt that has been caused us, but remembering how we've been forgiven, specifically in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We think of how many times we have offended our God above, how many times in any single hour or day we think of our sins and our offense against our perfect God above. And yet, do you know what God is? He is long-suffering. And you want to know who paid for our offenses? His own son did, Jesus Christ. And so when we consider forgiveness, let's never forget, let's never stop remembering who has paid for that forgiveness. It's Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He has washed your debt clean. It may not have been $14 billion um, specifically, but our debts have racked up a debt that is far greater than we will ever be able to pay in multiple lifetimes. And so we needed someone else's life. Jesus. And that's what you have. Jesus laid down his life on the cross for you. He has washed your debt clean. He has paid that debt. He is long-suffering. He took the punishment in your place so that you would be forgiven, so that you would be given a new chance, a second chance to live your life in glory to God. And so that is what is at the heart and soul of forgiveness. Forgiveness is remembering. Remembering that Jesus Christ has died for me for my sins, and washed me clean. That's at the heart and soul of Christian forgiveness. It's Jesus. It always has been. It has to be. So forgiveness is remembering, remembering the right things, remembering specifically Jesus Christ. But forgiveness is also about doing. Forgiveness is also about actually forgiving, which... It's incredibly hard, isn't it? Bobby Fischer and Gary Kasparov were renowned uh, as geniuses. In fact, their memory, uh, some people would say, was at genius levels. And that's how come they were able to advance to such a high degree and high level within the chess world. There was a man uh, named Laszlo Polgar. Uh, He loved chess, but he also had a theory that he could turn anyone into a genius. Now, Laszlo was fascinating uh, because he thought if he could train a child uh, early enough, if he could, could put them through rigorous steps, if he, could, if he could kind of mold their character and their memory at a very early age, his theory, his, his hypothesis was that you could turn any kid, any child into a genius. Now, um, I'm not sure how Laszlo convinced his wife to marry him, uh, but she did. And so he decided that he was going to do this with 
his own daughters. He had three of them. And, and Laszlo was actually a, an amateur chess player. And so he decided, I know chess. This is what I'm going to do. And so from a very early age, he started teaching his girls the game of chess. Uh, their names were Susan, Sophia, and Judith. And, and he taught them um, from a very early age. We're talking like age three or four. Taught them the rules and, and the, the game of chess. And they became incredibly good at it. They became experts at it. In fact, uh, in the world of chess, as, as far as female champions, uh, Susan, Sophia, and Judith were three of the best female chess players that our world has ever seen. Now, did they advance to a genius-type level? I don't know that they did. But it absolutely shows us what can be accomplished by simply repetition, by simply working at it, by simply doing it. They became incredibly good at this specific talent, chess playing. I actually think there's some lesson in that for us as believers when we put into practice forgiving. Not just remembering how we've been forgiven, but also actually doing it. Because ultimately, that's what God wants of us. In fact, Jesus' illustration in our text today, uh, that's where it switches to. It, it isn't just the theoretical of how the man had been forgiven, but then he goes one step further and he says, you ought to actually do it, to imitate it, to actually forgive. And yet in our story, in our illustration from Jesus, it goes tragically awry. Let me continue in verse 28. It says this, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Now, keep in mind, here is our Greek word again, makrothemus. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. It's hard even to imagine how this guy would have thought that this was the appropriate action. He had just been forgiven what he couldn't pay back in multiple lifetimes. And then one of his servants comes to him and owes him what's the equivalent of about three months wages. So he actually could have paid it back. And instead, he chokes the guy, throws him in jail along with his wife and kids. And you notice who's watching? The other servants are. And you know why they're outraged and they go talk to the master, to the king? Because even for them, they understood this was absolutely out of line. This was unjust. This man had been forgiven countless amounts, and now he refuses to even forgive. And I think that's a good reminder for us, brothers and sisters. When we refuse to forgive as believers, we aren't any different than the man in the story that Jesus is sharing. Because we have been forgiven a debt that was far too great for us ever to forgive. And let's not be surprised that when people look at us and they see our refusal to forgive or the vengeance and revenge that we choose to take and hold against other people, that they pay attention. But that doesn't necessarily make forgiving easy, does it? But all this man had to do was imitate the example he'd been given. All he had to do was put into practice what had already been put into practice for him. 
yet seemingly he was unable to do it. And I think it's hard for us at times as well, isn't it? Because when we have been hurt, when we are the ones that have suffered, it feels a lot harder than when we hurt somebody else. I heard somebody use an illustration like this, uh, that we were very good at creating caricatures of our enemies. So if you've ever gone to, uh, to a fair or, or a carnival or, or maybe just on street art, and somebody does one of those caricature portraits of you, uh, they basically pick out your worst, I don't know why people ever pay to have these done, but they pick out your worst trait and then they exaggerate it, right? So my only guess is that if I had a caricature done of me, uh, my forehead would be like 10 times as big as what it actually is, okay? So now I know you're all picturing me as a caricature, fine, okay. So I've got a five head, that's fine, right? But that's what a caricature does. It, it takes something that is already there, that there's an element of truth to, and then it exaggerates it and it flattens it into two dimensions. I think far too often that is exactly what we do to the people around us who have hurt us. We take um, their, their words, right, in the worst possible light. We, we take their actions in the worst possible way, right? We, we paint them and we ha- create a caricature of them that, well, she always talks about people behind their back. Well, he always reacts in that way. Well, she's super emotional, so I'm not surprised by that. We create caricatures of people of their traits and who they are and the sins they've committed. And then we label them and put them up on our wall and say, yep, that's what they always do and they always look like. Therefore, they don't deserve my forgiveness. But that's completely unfair, isn't it? It's unfair to the people around us. And in fact, here's why I know it's unfair is because you would consider it unfair if someone did that to you. Because we consider ourselves, we say, well, my mistakes are so small. They're minor, just little slip-ups, oops, right? Oops, sorry about that, didn't mean to, right? But see, the sins we commit, we think are so minimal. The sins others commit against us, we think are are incredibly huge. See, we maximize theirs, we minimize our own, and we create this distance between us where we feel justified in not forgiving them, even though they they shouldn't even have to forgive me. It was such a minor thing that I did to them, right? So we create this gap in between us. And really what Jesus talks about in our text here is that there is no gap in between us. That people that hurt you are three-dimensional living human beings. And some days they have good days and some days they have bad days. Some days they're incredibly kind and some days they're not. And you know what? The same is true of you and me and each one of us. Because we are way more nuanced than that. Because we are people. Well, guess who views us as people? Your God does. Jesus does. He didn't just create a caricature of us and say, those sinners, no way I'm going to the cross for them. In fact, he did the opposite. He said, those sinners are people and souls. And while we were still sinful, Christ chose to die for us. That is what motivates our forgiving. And the more we do it, the better we get at it. Lo and behold, when we practice the art of forgiving, as we realize that we need to be forgiven just as much as we are to forgive, it becomes easier and easier to do, and it becomes more and more distinctive of our Christian character and our Christian living. And so just like Laszlo was able to to 
on some level, train his daughters to become experts in chess. Now, I don't know that they became geniuses, but I guarantee they became really, really good at chess. You want to know how? Because they actually did it. And the same is true for you and I. The motivation is knowing how we've been forgiven from our God above, but then God asks us to put that into practice, to actually forgive the people that have hurt us in our lives, to be patient with them, and to be long-suffering. I don't think there's any more distinctive characteristic of being a Christian, a follower of a Christ, or a part of a Christian congregation than being willing to and actually forgiving. It's who Christ was. It's what Christ has done on your behalf. And so let's be about that. Forgiveness is remembering. Remembering that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And forgiveness is doing. Actually forgiving those who have hurt us. Amen.